everybody, what's up? Welcome back to THC. My name is Kimmy and every week I smoke and tell you a true crime story. So if that is your vibe, then make sure you subscribe and you know, follow me on social media at Truly High Crime and all of that stuff. Leave me a marvelous review um, and rate me five stars and tell me how much you love me because it really helps me out. Even if you don't love me, lie, I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. I'll believe it. But anyway, I will just shut up because today we are talking about something that will maybe quite literally keep you awake at night. This one is literally crazy. I don't even know where to start. Once again, we have a seemingly happy husband and wife just living their lives and then out of nowhere, the husband violently kills her. But this time he doesn't deny it. He says that he was just sleepwalking. But let's just start from the top. We are in Phoenix, Arizona. It is 1997 and Scott and Yarmila Scott and Yarmila Falader are living a good life with their two kids. Their names are Michael and Megan. And um, so Scott and Yarmila, they both grew up Catholic, but they later converted to Mormonism together. And then that's how they lived their life. Nice and seemingly, like I said, happy, no issues. Scott was an engineer with Motorola. Motor Motorola. <laughs> Sorry. Scott is an engineer with Motorola and Yarmila was a stay-at-home mom. Um, so she took care of the house, you know, that was what she did. She was great at it. She was a great mom. So while Scott worked with Motorola, he was there while they were like developing the very first like flip phones and stuff like that. And like, you know, Motorola was like on top of that. Like we all had a razor, but we we're even talking like before the razor, like the ones that don't even look like cell phones. Yeah. So he was like one of the lead engineers there and he was working on this big ass project and he had burned Blah, blah, blah. and he had been working on it for months and he was like the lead of the team the project manager if you will and then they just kind of realized that what they were doing wasn't working and they were gonna have to just scrap it and start from the beginning so like months of work was pretty much just kind of useless which really sucks and is you know like a stressful time um, on top of that, on top of being the engineer, he also does a little morning um, sermon every single day. So he's a busy guy. And on this particular day, it was January 16th, 1997, he was super exhausted. He got home from work and he had dinner made by his wife, Yarmila, who also manages their house and takes care of everything. Of course, she had dinner on the table for him. Um, and then she asked him to fix something on the pool because she didn't want the pool to like, you know, go bad because I guess pools do that. I've never had one, but I guess they're like high maintenance or whatever, but he was like, okay. And I was, okay, so I watched 2020 and I think you should watch it too. The episode literally just came out um, like a couple weeks ago on this case. So you should watch it. But everybody on 2020 was like, how dare she ask him to do that? Like he had such a long day. Like, okay, they didn't like explicitly say that, but that was a vibe that they were giving. And it's like, dude, she does everything around the house. She just wants him to fix something on the pool. It probably won't take long. Like, why are we, why are we victim blaming here? So anyway, he went out to fix the pool around nine o'clock and it was dark and he couldn't see what he was doing and he was just getting really frustrated. Like everything was just pissing him off. And so he was like, you know what, fuck it. I'm gonna go inside and I'm gonna finish this tomorrow. So that's what he did. And Yarmela was asleep on the couch. She was watching TV, but she was asleep. I think ER was on. And he says that he woke her up and kissed her goodnight and then he went to bed. Just like raw dog went to bed. 
no skincare routine or anything. I have to say, it really, it, it amazes me that there's people that don't have skincare routines. Why don't you take care of your skin? You should at least wash your face and put moisturizer on it every night and morning. Like, if you need to figure it out, let me know. I can help you. You should do, you should do your skincare. And he also went to bed in his jeans, which is just like, bro, like, what's wrong with you? Like, obviously, something is not right there. So, after that, he said he went to bed between 9.30 and 10. The next thing that happened was between 10 and 10.30, when Scott, Yarmilla's, Scott and Yarmilla's neighbors, Greg and Stephanie, were going to bed, and they heard some sort of, like, moaning and screaming outside, and they were like, what is that? So they, you know, looked out the window like neighbors do. I'm a very nosy neighbor. I think nosy neighbors are very important. I think we all have to, like, pay more attention to our neighbors. I, this tweet just went around like a couple months ago, probably like a year ago now about how nobody ever sees their neighbors bring in their groceries. And that was true. And then I started paying attention and I see people bring their groceries in all the time. We just need to start paying more attention because if one of my neighbors went missing or like got killed or something, I'd be like, honestly, I don't know. I got nothing, but I need to start paying more attention. I actually know a lot about my neighbors. That's just a fun fact about me. I always know a lot about the people that live around me. Sorry neighbors, if you're listening, Anyway, <laughs> back to what was important here. They heard some sort of like screaming and moaning going on outside. So they look out the window and Greg Kuntz said that he saw what looked like Yarmila laying drunk in their backyard. He said that he thought he was, she was drunk. And he said that she was like moving a little bit and then he saw some movement in the house. So he figured that somebody was gonna help her. But thankfully they kept watching because Scott ended up coming back outside and dragging Yarmila and then dumping her body in the pool and holding her body underwater. And at first the neighbor was like, maybe he's splashing her to try to wake her up. But then he was like, oh my God, no, he's like holding her underwater. We need to call the police. And the 911 call, I appreciate it so much because it's so straightforward. It's so unproblematic, which is very like unheard of. I feel like every single 911 call is like, dude, why did it go like that? Like I think about like the Susan Powell 911 call, terrible. I hate it. But this one went so smoothly. Greg just goes, hey, there's some screaming at my neighbor's house. And I think he's holding his wife's head underwater. And the cop goes, all right, I'll send someone over. And then they both say, thank you and then they actually do send people right over. I just, I respect it. I wanted to give it a little shout out, a little, a little thank you. So Scott was literally holding Yarmila's head underwater until she died. The police get there and they first went into the backyard because they knew that's where something was happening and they could just tell from the scene that it was not good. They could tell that the water was pink and then when they went to go move her body, it turned very red and they just knew that something was wrong and that she was dead. This is really gross, just warning you, but Yarmila had been stabbed 43 times. Most of them were defensive wounds, but some of them were fatal, and she was pronounced dead at the scene. So then they go inside, and they see Scott at the top of the stairs, and he's wearing, like, this clean white t-shirt and red plaid pajama pants, and he's, like, confused as fuck, and he's like, why are you in my house? What's going on? Who are you? what's going on like he was just like what's happening but they were like shut up get down keep your hands up where we can see him you know like how cops do they terrorize the scene instead of ask progressive questions but anyway um they ask him who was all in the house and he's like my family's here my wife and my two kids were here and the cops were confused because they were like um we just saw your wife dead in the backyard so do you not know that but we also just talked to your neighbor who watched you do it. So you obviously do know that. It was very, very confusing at the time. But apparently at this point, Scott claims he has no idea what was going on and he had no idea what was happening. 
he was arrested and he was taken in for questioning and his interview was very interesting to say the least. Scott said that he had doubts that Yarmila was even dead, but then when he was like walking into the homicide unit, he was like, oh, well, I'm guessing Yarmila is dead. Just really odd, like, like the, the guessing game of like, has nobody told him that she was dead in the backyard? Like, has he not put the pieces together? The way he's acting kind of clueless just kind of rubs me the wrong way. But I also have thoughts about the cop doing the interview. He said right at the top of it that he thought that Scott's story was bullshit. And I understand that you have your own opinions going into things, but you should at least try to remain somewhat objective because it's not really your job. Like, it's your job to figure out what happened and ask the questions and see if there's any other suspects or anything. Even though it looks pretty cut and fucking dry, I agree. You probably should go in with just a touch of objectivity. You know, that's just my thought. But Scott also does act very odd throughout the whole thing. I'm not gonna judge somebody based on how they like react in a traumatic situation or anything like that, but it was almost like, I don't know, like he wasn't reacting. Like I said, I recommend watching 2020 because they show the interview and Scott's in like this fetal position. He's in the corner of the room. He's like got his head in his hands. He's got his head leaning against the wall and like not making eye contact. Like it's, it's just odd. And then he says something like, I know you guys think that I did this, but I don't know why you think that. And then the cop goes, because your neighbor watched you drown your wife. And then he just goes, geez. Yeah, geez. It just sounds so like, oh fuck, I was caught. Rather than, fuck, my wife is dead, what happened? Like, it sounds like he's like, geez, I've been caught. Instead of like, what? Like, my neighbor watched me kill my wife? Like, it's just, geez. <laughs> It just feels wrong and I know I shouldn't say that, I know I shouldn't judge, but it just does. And the interrogation itself really didn't last long. Scott never denied killing Yarmila, but he just kept saying over and over again, I don't remember. And he's just super duper quiet. And when they ask if he has a motive, he's like very plain. He doesn't have anything. Like he's like, no, I don't have a motive. He doesn't have anything to offer, like head in his hands, no eye contact. It was, it was weird. So there was no blood on Scott's clothes or anything. Like they were absolutely clean, but he did have some blood on the back of his neck. And the cop was like, what is that on the back of your neck? And he pretended like he didn't know it was there. I sorry, I should say he apparently didn't know it was there. And then he like reached to the back of his neck and he wiped it off. He's like, oh, I don't know, officer. Like I, I didn't know it was there. And then he sees a bandaid on his hand and the cop is like, what, what's that from? Like, there's a fresh cut underneath that. Like, do you remember that? And then it just gets painfully silent. Like, it's one of those silences where you're like, okay, he's gotta be about to say something. And then he just doesn't, like nothing. Uh, it's just like that awkward quiet. He's got his head in his hands and he's like, fuck, I have to come up with something and I have nothing. He thought it was gonna happen until morning to prepare for this. And then the cop is like, once it's been silent for long as shit, the cop is like, do you not remember that either? And Scott's like, no, I don't remember. <laughs> so all the cops are like, okay, this is pretty much an open shut case, similar to what Taylor Swift said in her hit song, Willow. Um, but they were like, he has blood on his neck and his neighbor watched him do it. So it's like, boom, we can just take him in on murder one. Like this is 
pretty much easy. Probably won't be a difficult trial or anything. <laughs> so he's arrested and he's charged with first degree murder and he's facing the death penalty. Back in 1999, he like reached out to 2020. Like he probably got a good PR person and he reached out to 2020 and they covered this a lot. And I think they did a really good job of keeping it objective and letting you decide whether or not he's guilty because they talk to the cops a lot too. And you hear what they think and their opinion is obviously that he's guilty and they interviewed like the prosecution, everything. Like I, th I think it's a really good telling of the case. Um, a lot of my sources come from 2020 because that's who he did a lot of his talking to like throughout the entire thing. So Scott's whole argument at first while he was awaiting trial was that he accepted that his neighbors saw him do the actual killing, but he didn't do it consciously. So like, what, what do you think happened then, buddy? And his kids would come to visit him and they would talk to him through glass. And I don't know who they were staying with, but I really just hope that they were okay. I literally could not imagine. I, we talk a lot about the kids and we'll get into that, but you're like, your mom is murdered by your dad. So you lose one parent. Like you have no choice. If your dad is a good person in your eyes, you have no choice other than just to believe your other parent. Like what else are you gonna do? You have nowhere else to call mom and dad. And they really couldn't find any motive for Scott to murder Yarmila. Every single one of her friends said that they had no issues in their marriage. The kids said they were happy. The family all said that they were in a happy marriage. There was no mistress that just like came out of nowhere and was like, oh, hey, actually he was cheating on her with me and then he killed her and he told me about it. Like nothing, none of that happened like in how these typically go. So before we get into the mess of a trial, I think we should take a quick smoke break. So his trial started in May of 1999. The prosecutor was Juan Martinez, who was known for literally never losing a murder case. He was also the prosecutor that got Jody Arias locked up. So if you recognize his name, that's probably why, but here is something else about him. He was disbarred in July of 2020 for being accused of leaking information to a blogger that he was sleeping with talking with a juror who was dismissed from a case, and just to put a cherry on top, sexually harassing multiple female coworkers. So he was disbarred, goodbye, go to jail, you fucking loser. But this case happened 20 years before all of that came to light. Doesn't mean he wasn't a fucking loser then, because I'm sure he was, but I just wanted you guys to have a little bit of hindsight bias on how terrible he is, and if his name sounded familiar to you, then that's why. So the medical examiner takes the stand and he says that based on what he had to say about Yarmila's injuries, the prosecution came up with the theory that Scott got near the pool, kind of like hidden in the dark, and then he put his arm around Yarmila when she came looking for him and then put his hand over her mouth so she couldn't yell for help. This was based off of like the defensive wounds on her hands and her arms. And from there, he stabbed her to death. So that evidence is pretty hard to dispute. It seems like clear as fucking day to me. Don't know about you guys. But at this point, people are like, what the fuck is he going to say? Like, his defenses. Like, I know they're saying that he, like, he's still going to trial. He's still pleading not guilty. So, like, why when he's saying that he did it? Like, what's going on here? 
the neighbor, Greg Coons, who called the police, he also testified and he had some damning evidence as well. He said that he saw Yarmila on the ground and she looked like she was drunk, like he said, and he says that he did not see the stabbing happen and at that point he couldn't tell that she had been stabbed. But then he saw lights in the windows upstairs going on and off, which he knew was the master bedroom. Like I said, normalize stalking your neighbors. He knew which window was to which bedroom and I just think that's important to know because now look, he's testifying in a murder case. I just think that's kind of important now. And then he saw Scott walk past the window and then he shut off all the lights and then he went downstairs into the kitchen. And then he didn't see Scott again until he was walking out of the kitchen, out of the house towards Yar Yarmila. And he said it looked like he was like wringing his hands. And then he says he saw Scott put gloves on while he approached Yarmila and then he dragged her into the pool and held her head underwater. So yeah, like I've been saying, that's pretty much straightforward, clear evidence he killed her, no doubt about it. What the fuck is his defense gonna be? Well, let me just tell you what his defense is gonna be. His mom and his sister suddenly remember that Scott slept walk as a kid. And the reason that they suddenly remember this is because Scott's attorney was going to plead that Scott was not guilty by reason of insanity. And his sister and mom were just like, and his sister and mom were just like, ain't no way. He's not crazy and I don't want him to ever be legally deemed crazy. So then his mom has this sudden memory that Scott had slept walk a few times when he was young. She said that there had been a few times that he would come downstairs all dressed and ready for school, but it was like midnight. And she said that there was a few times where he had walked downstairs in the middle of the night completely naked when he was like 15 or 16 years old and he wouldn't remember it at all in the morning. And then after that, it was just like a like running family joke. Like they never really brought it up. He didn't remember. They just kind of made fun of him and moved on. And then for what kind of feels like the sake of pure convenience, his sister remembers that one time he was violent with her in his sleep. She was sitting downstairs watching TV and he came down and started walking towards the door and she was like, oh my God, he's just sleepwalking. Let me just lock the door so that he doesn't do it. So she like jumped in front of him and then she claims that he grabbed her by the shoulders and then just threw her across the room. She said, quote, he looked so angry, he looked almost demonic. But Scott had no memory of it. So his sister started digging around on the internet. She was trying to see if they even had a case for all of this because she knew, said she knew how ridiculous it sounded. And they also did this all behind Scott's back. So Scott had no idea that they were coming up with this defense at the time. So the violent incident happened at a kind of stressful time in Scott's. So the violent incident happened with his sister in a kind of like stressful time in Scott's life. It was two months before his wedding and he was also taking finals at school. So he was like missing out on a lot of sleep and he was also like stressed about life, you know? And his sister said that at the time he was super duper tired and he had just been worn out, which is known to cause an episode in people who sleepwalk is if you are sleep deprived, you have a lot going on, you're stressed, like that's like, recipe for sleepwalking. I forgot the word for a second right there. 
So the defense's whole argument is that Scott was under a lot of stress at the time and that triggered a sleepwalking episode that then turned violent. And the cops and the prosecution were all just kind of like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Everybody was like, girl, what are you saying? Like you just caught, caught murdering your wife. Like you, uh, what? You're just gonna try to say that you were asleep while you did it? Somebody watched you do it? And it was a really, really easy case to sensationalize. It was like a front page story. There was, everybody was talking about it. It was one of those things like, oh, did you hear about that man who killed his wife in his sleep? Rather than, oh, did you hear about that man who killed his wife? Like, let's talk about her, but no. So the question for the jury was not whether or not Scott killed his wife because he admitted to that, but it was, did he do it in his sleep or not? Scott himself said, quote, it felt like a bunch of bullshit that had no basis in re Oh, no, wait, he said BS. It felt like a bunch of BS that had no basis in reality. When he was asked about the sleepwalking defense, he was like, it, that felt fake. Like, he literally said that himself. And, like, the interviewer's face was like, oh, oh, oh. Like, she was like, oh, I just got some gold right there. So he participated in a sleep study, but of course the results were quote, ambiguous because Scott's defense says that his brainwave shows that he was susceptible to sleepwalking, but the prosecution was able to argue that it didn't really show that he was susceptible to sleepwalking. And then that was that, like it didn't really do anything. But then they got, the defense got two big ass sleep, like big ass, <laughs> I can't speak. But then the defense got two big sleep experts to testify that it was possible that Scott was asleep the entire time. Despite the horror, no, despite the whole ordeal lasting like 40 to 45 minutes, which normal sleepwalking episodes last like 10 to maybe 20 minutes, like they were able to do it. So they were riding this high because these experts had just gotten this guy off on a murder charge in Canada who had driven across town to kill his mother and almost kill his father-in-law while he was sleeping. So that man was acquitted. So they were like, maybe we can get Scott acquitted too. And Scott was like, maybe I can get acquitted too. Like maybe it is possible. So their theory is that Scott went to bed after working on the pool and then in his sleep something woke him up to make him think about the pool. So then he got up and he was he went to go work on it like he had a an episode like triggered. So he goes to go work on the pool and then Yarmela is like wait where are you going like goes looking for him and sees him sleepwalking and maybe doesn't know that he's sleepwalking and she's like come back to bed and then he attacks her which is known to happen in people who are sleepwalking like his brain just saw her as a threat as a threat rather than his wife like th there's no facial recognition when you're dreaming we will get into like all of the science of sleepwalking once i've laid out the case for you guys because i was interested in it and i just think it's important we'll talk about it later but then on cross-examination, the prosecution goes in on the sleep experts and he got one of them to second guess their own findings because guess what? They have more evidence against Scott. They found a fuck ton of evidence in Scott's car that they claim he could not have put there while he was asleep. And for me personally, this was the point where I was like, oh buddy, they gotcha. So you know how Scott was like wearing those nice cozy pajamas that were clean when the cops got to his house? There was no blood on them or anything, but there was blood on his neck. Well, obviously he wasn't wearing that clean, nice outfit when he killed Yarmila. So where were the clothes that he was wearing, you ask? 
Well, they were tucked inside of a Tupperware container that was inside of a black trash bag that was tucked inside the floor compartment in the truck of his Volvo that was in the garage, along with the murder weapon, which is a literal hunting knife. So the prosecution is like, you are trying to tell me that in your sleep, you stabbed your wife 43 or 44 times, you cleaned up the scene, you put your clothes in a Tupperware, in a bag, you changed your clothes, you took them out to your trunk, and then you went back to your wife's body and you held her underwater in your sleep. Sir, I just don't know about that one. They're also like, if you were sleeping, why were you trying to hide it? People who are sleepwalking have nothing to hide because they don't realize that they're doing anything wrong. So why did you change your clothes and put them away and put it all in the car and stuff like that? Like, mm, th this isn't really adding up. So the prosecutor, Mr. Juan Martinez, is talking to the sleep experts and he's like, so do you want to like recant any of your statements? Does any of this new information make you doubt any of your findings? One of the experts was like, after he changed his clothes, it quote, gave me pause that he was sleeping the whole time. He said, putting the clothes back in the trunk is an unusual pattern for sleepwalking. And then Mr. Martinez put his own sleep expert on the stand, who of course was like, no fucking way he did this in his sleep. He hid and packaged thing in his car. He knew he did something wrong. He had a conscious state of mind when he did that. Like he knew, consciously knew, like he was awake. He consciously knew he was doing something wrong. But this expert said the part that made him know that Scott was awake was that he went back to the body and then pushed her in the water. Because the first act of violence was the stabbing maybe it could have been done in his sleep because maybe she approached him once, but she didn't trigger him while she was laying dying on the ground. And the neighbors saw that he made a choice to go back to her and push her underwater and hold her underwater. So it's like, you can try, I, I, like he's trying his best to, you know, have some sort of defense, but the sleep experts are saying that if he's triggered, he would be violent. I don't think he'd go back to her body and push it in. Like, I gotta say, I agree with this. I agree with this expert. But then two of Scott's cellmates testified that he slept walking his cell. They, in his cell, they said that he would like stand up and shake the rails or whatever. And Scott's own lawyer even said that he thought that they were making up their stories, but he used their testimony anyway. So that right there, I think should get this man disbarred. Um, in my personal opinion, I think that maybe they weren't making it up, but maybe Scott was trying to pretend like he was sleepwalking so that he could like, like so that his cellmates would do exactly what they did. Like, I think he was just trying to be like, see, I sleepwalk. <laughs> the next witnesses were actually Michael and Megan, Scott's kids. So they testified how much they loved their dad and how good of a dad he was and how good of a marriage Scott and Yermila had and how good their relationship was. And this right here was very powerful. I think they did a really, really good move by having their kids take the stand because people fucking love kids and they will believe anything a child says and like these kids you already have this extra sympathy for because they just lost their mom like he, this man is up for the death penalty if he's convicted like they would possibly lose their dad too like it was a really 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 powerful move for them to put the kids up on the stand 
Then they made an even more powerful move and Scott took the stand himself, which is usually a really bad idea because it just makes the person look like a fool. But he takes the stand and he cries and he talks about he can't accept the fact that he did this, like he knows he did it, but he just can't accept it even for himself. And like, he's having a really hard time processing it. And he was just like trying to convince the jury that he would never ever do this to his wife. Like he needed to show them that he loved his wife. He was broken over this and he wouldn't do this if he were in the right state of mind. And honestly, he does a good job. But the question is, was he lying? Because I feel like, and we'll talk about this, I feel like he just got to a point where he was just believing his own lies. One of Scott's co-workers also testified and said that Scott had called Yarmila, quote, dumpy and shit like that. And to me, this just kind of felt like a reach. Scott denies it. And this one time, to me, he seems genuine when he denies it. I feel like his co-worker honestly just wanted to get his 15 minutes of fame, which sucks because, like, there's so many other ways to do it. Like, go save a cat out of a fucking tree or something. Don't insert yourself into a murder investigation. Also, cats don't get stuck in trees. Like, it's never been a problem. I guess I always thought that would be a problem because of, like, what, what TV told me as a child. My cat's in my sink right now like he always is. Anyway, um, the prosecutor really just wanted to find a motive because there was no motive at all. Like there was none. Like I said, there was no mistress. They had a good marriage. Like usually at this point they are able to find something, but they really had nothing. So the prosecutor, I think, is kind of reaching a little bit, and and apparently in an interview, Scott had said something to a psychologist like, and it's, it's so out of context because we don't even, like, all we get is the words. We don't get the sentence around it. All we get is that unforgivable sin was what he said. Quote, unforgivable sin, unquote. And, like, don't know the sentence around it or anything. So then the prosecutor, the lawyer, just kind of, like, sticks to that. And he's like, maybe Armilla committed a sin, like, cheated on him. So then that was unforgivable to Scott, so he had to kill her. But then Scott himself was like, no, 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 no. I think that I committed the unforgivable sin, not Yarmila, which would make sense. I feel like that was out of context. And I feel like he probably did say that he committed an unforgivable sin because he did and he has admitted that he did. Like, you know. So, in June of 1999, after eight hours of deliberation, Scott Fowler is found guilty of first-degree murder. Their immediate vote was eight guilty for not guilty when the jury went in, like, right after the trial, but then after a little bit of time, people started to sway, you know. But Scott testifying is what made people really think, like, maybe he's not guilty because they were saying, like, he came across as sympathetic and genuine and honest and credible. Like, maybe he didn't know he was doing this. Like, maybe he really was sleepwalking because the question wasn't, did he kill her or not? It was, was he awake or not? Like, was he sleepwalking or not? The big thing that made the decision so tough with that was that the big thing that made the decision so tough for the jury was that there was a literally no motive for Scott to kill Yarmila. Literally no reason at all. And also he was up for the death penalty. So it was a really, really big decision for the jurors. And I fucking want to have jury duty so bad. I think about this all the time. Can you imagine being a juror on a case like this? I know that's like not, it's not like the 
like I shouldn't glamorize it because this stuff shouldn't happen. Like it sucks that this stuff has to happen. But can you imagine being on the jury for it? Like that's a big decision and that would like kind of traumatize you if you put this man to death and then the rest of your life you're just spent wondering like, oh my God, maybe he didn't do it. Like I just, that would be really rough. That would be rough and tough, but I love some turmoil. So I think that if anybody's out there trying to pick a jury, they should pick me because I want to be on a jury about something interesting. Thank you. But anyway, they come to their decision that he was guilty and they even say that they believe the murder was premeditated. So six months later, the next step is the sentencing. And we are back in the olden days where the sentencing was up to the judge and not the jury. This was only 20 years ago. It really wasn't the olden days. I don't know why I said that. Um, but he was either going to get the death. I should not be laughing right now. It's not an appropriate time to laugh. I'm so sorry. He was either going to get the death penalty or he was going to get life without the possibility of parole. His friends and family and his kids all testify that he is a good person and he does not deserve to die. Like, imagine a child being like, please don't kill my dad. My mom is already dead. You please just don't take my dad too. Like anybody with a heart is obviously not going to put this man to death. If you're pro death penalty, it can be a different conversation for like a different time. You can hit me up in the Insta DMs or don't. I probably won't answer because I, I, I have no need to, but I am anti-death penalty for cases like this because you can literally never be sure what happened. Like nobody knows 100% what happened except for Scott and Yarmula and you know how that's going so yeah um if anything these kids deserve to have like one parent if they made the choice to believe and forgive their dad then that's their business that's not up to me and if that's what they did then good for them Scott ends up being sentenced to serve the rest of his life in prison so he gets life without parole Let's take a quick smoke break before we talk about what Scott has to say about his case today. One of my absolute favorite things to do, and I'm sure it's yours too, is smoke and watch movies. But every single year, without fail, as Oscar season approaches, I feel like I forgot every single movie that I watched or I haven't heard of any of the movies that are up for nominations. But I want to be able to understand the memes and read along with the tweets on Oscar night, so what am I left to do? The good news is that four of my amazingly smart and talented film-loving friends will be analyzing movies that could be winning big this year in their new podcast, Oscar bait. They'll be breaking down the movies and giving their only partly qualified opinions. If you love to talk movies, then subscribe to Oscar bait podcast wherever you get your podcasts. A new episode will be out every single Friday. So go listen to it now. I love you girlies. So 2020 did an interview with him literally just last month in January of 2021. Um, and just a little side note, he said he got, I don't know why I said it with that, like, that tone. But just a little side note, he said he got COVID back in June and that he was very, very sick and that he is still in the process of getting his taste and smell back. I just want to make a quick statement here that the prison system needs to be abolished and the way prisons have been like impacted by COVID-19 is absolutely inexcusable. Like why did we let that happen and why, um, why hasn't anything been done about it? Honestly, I need to know more. I need to do more research on it. But I remember at the beginning of COVID, that's where a lot of the first outbreaks were, which makes a lot of sense. And 
that deserves more attention and they deserve better treatment and that nobody should be in prison unless you're a rapist or a murderer. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Scott said that while he is still on good terms with his kids, he has not heard from his daughter Megan in quite some time because she said that she felt like shit every time she went to go visit him, which makes sense. And he was like, move on, go on with your life. I want you to do that. And no matter what you do, like I'm proud of you and I'm proud of everything that you've done and everything you will do. And his son, Michael, has a family of his own and he says he thinks of his mom all the time and that he still has a relationship with his dad because regardless of what he did or if he's in jail or not, that's still his dad, which, you know, like I said, you process in whatever ways you process. Um... Scott says that he could not be prouder of both of his kids. I think the words would be more proud. He could not be more proud of both of his kids and he loves them and he misses them. And he said, I am so sorry for what I did to them. He also said he has never forgiven himself and that he probably never will. He was excommunicated from the Church of Latter-day Saints, which makes sense. Usually when people kill their wives, they get excommunicated from the church that they're a part of. Um, that's just one thing that the church does that I kind of agree with. <laughs> um, he says that he still can't swear by the sleepwalking defense, but all he can say is that he doesn't know what happened and he takes accountability for it. And that's pretty much kind of where the story ends. Scott is serving his life sentence in Arizona and Yarmela's life was cut short and we are never going to know what actually happened that night and it sucks but I'm very happy that Yarmila has justice. And if Scott is innocent, he says that Yarmila would have forgiven him. And if that's how they go to bed at night, that's how they go to bed at night. But speaking of going to bed at night, let's talk about sleepwalking. It is something that's actually like always interested me. My brother sleptwalk a lot as a kid and it kind of freaked me out. He was obviously like never violent or anything. I shouldn't say obviously, but like he was never violent or anything like that. He would just like open and close the front door and my parents would just like guide him back to his room, whatever. But um, I just think it's interesting. I My grandpa... I don't know. I can't remember the exact story. I even had to text my sister and make sure that this wasn't a fever dream of mine. Like that's... I thought this had happened, but it actually did happen. My grandpa, when he was a kid, he was like born in like 1930s. So like, this is a long time ago. So like the early thirties, he got on his bike and rode to his friend's house in his sleep and was like, hey, can Johnny come out and play? And he was asleep the whole time. And apparently that actually happened. So I don't know, maybe I just stopped being such a denier, but he was a child. Like this is, we'll get into it. Sleepwalking is much more common in children. But sleepwalking itself is a disorder called somnambulism, which sounds like something really sinister. I don't know. It's just weird. Like I said, it's a lot more common in children than adults. Only like 4% of adults report sleepwalking, but something like 30% of children sleepwalk. So, you know, incidents of sleepwalking usually last between 10 and 20 minutes and 20 minutes would be like the maximum, like no more than 20 minutes. That would be a lot. It's both genetic and it can be caused when somebody's in a deep sleep and is kind of partially woken up and then triggered to do some kind of physical activity. So like in Scott's case, if he was sleepwalking, the theory was that he was going to go keep cleaning the pool, fixing the pool, whatever he was doing. 
stress and sleep deprivation are also huge triggers for sleepwalking, but so are brain injuries, medications, being sick, restless leg syndrome, or even like drinking a lot of alcohol before you go to bed. So a lot of things can cause it. And most experts say to not wake up a sleepwalker and to instead just like gently guide them away from what they're doing and like back to bed and just kind of like make yourself part of the dream, like be real soothing, like, hey, you're sleeping, it's time to get you back to bed. That's what I do to my cats when they wake up and I'm like, go back to bed, you little bitch. <laughs> um, yeah, don't just be like, bitch, go back to bed, but you have to just kind of be nice and guide them. So Scott was under a lot of stress when he had his violent episode with his sister when he was in his 20s and he was under a lot of stress right now when he was working with Motorola when he killed his wife. So like that could have triggered his sleepwalking but he, this whole thing happened for 45 minutes, not 10 minutes, not 20 minutes, 45 minutes. He consciously hid his clothes in his car, in a bag, in a Tupperware container. There's, he changed his clothes. Like there's just a lot to it that maybe the very first attack was an accident. Maybe. I don't think so, but maybe the first attack was in his sleep and then he woke up and was like, oh fuck, and then thought of something. I don't know. 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 I think about the sleepwalking is just crazy. I think about the episode of Hannah Montana when Miley hated that song that Robbie Ray like wrote for her and she would wake up in her sleep and be like dead set on telling him like must tell dad, gotta tell dad. And she was like scary. And all she needed was some loco hot cocoa and it fixed it for her. But all the experts were like, that's a really dangerous representation of sleepwalking because it can actually be brutal. I want to believe this God didn't do it consciously, but for me, the science just isn't there at all. If he was going to work on the pool in his sleep, why did he have a big ass fucking hunting knife with him? That part is never explored any further and it makes no sense to me as to why he had that with him in the first place. And why did he try to hide all of his clothes if he was asleep? Like, uh, la, 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 I don't know. Here's what I think happened. This is my theory. He had plans to kill his wife and he followed through with them and he did it. And he hit all of his stuff, whatever. The neighbor catches him and he doesn't know he gets caught. So he goes to bed with the intention of just pretending that he found his wife in the morning. He pretends to be absolutely clueless and realizes that he can't say it wasn't him because he was caught doing it, but he can say he has absolutely no memory of it at all. Because sure, like if that's what you're gonna say when you're trying to fucking come up with something like you've been caught killing your wife, that's what you're gonna say. His family then is like grasping for something and they don't want him to have to be proven insane and they don't want to believe that he was a killer. So his sister was like, oh my God, mom, remember that one time, wink, wink, when he was sleepwalking and he got kind of violent with me? Remember that? And I don't even know if they realized that they were consciously doing this. Like it was a traumatic event. Somebody that you love, your brother, your son is being a, like your son killed his wife. Like you want to find answers. You don't want to believe that your son's a terrible person. So your brain is just going to try to find an answer to it in any way that it possibly can. And then Scott himself is just like, yeah, sure, whatever. Like maybe this is going to work. I'll just go along with this. And his whole tactic is to just come across as this confused man who 
loved his wife and he would never have done anything to harm her. And honestly, like I've said, he does a good job. He's a good actor, but I believe he just chose to start believing his own lies. And he accepted his fate that he got caught in killing her and he wanted to appear as innocent as possible. The part that trips me up still is the motive. He had no motive, but honestly, you don't have to have a motive. And I know that makes me sound crazy, but sometimes people just fucking snap. And like, maybe he was Maybe he was going through some things that nobody knew about. Maybe Yarmila didn't talk to anybody about the abuse that maybe she was going through. Like, this is all just speculation, obviously, but there's a lot that I think we don't know that people can keep private in their lives that I just, I don't know. I, I just don't trust him, and I think there's more to it than we know. I don't know. I wish I did, but I literally do not. According to the homicidal sleepwalking Wikipedia page, this has happened five other times, six total with Scott's case. So it's not a one-time thing, but it is incredibly rare. Sleeping is so fucking weird. I have never sleptwalked, but like sleep in general freaks me out because you literally just close your eyes and then your body shuts down for eight hours and you like dream and things happen. Some people get up and walk. Some people kill their wives. Like crazy shit can happen in your sleep. One time my boyfriend laughed in his sleep and I was literally so scared. It took me a second to fall back asleep. I was like, what, what, what is he laughing at? Like, what does he know that I don't know? <laughs> I have these dreams that I get really angry sometimes and I was like when I was doing the research for this case I was like maybe I'm gonna wake up like when I'm having a rage dream and not be completely awake and I'm just gonna start acting out my rage but all I do in my rage dreams is literally like punch things that can't be punched like I'll punch a pillow and get mad when it doesn't do anything for me it's it's a whole thing I talk about it in therapy don't worry <laughs> Anyway, I would love to hear your thoughts and your opinions on this case. There was a lot. I think you should watch 2020 and watch interviews with Scott because watching him and listening to him is really important. It's what made me think that maybe he was sleepwalking, but in the end, I think he's what the Dixie Chicks, or no wait, I think they call themselves the Chicks, would call a gaslighter. Tell me if you think he was awake or asleep or not. I would love to just engage in some discourse about it. I hope you have an amazing rest of your day. Make sure you stay getting your eight hours of sleep so that you do not murder somebody while you're sleepwalking. Bye.